1: Welcome back to America First with our special guest host, Rich Barris, from Big Data Polls.
2: And thank you, Dr. Gorka. This is Rich Barris, the People's Pundit, in for Dr. Gorka on America First, Hour 2. Look, folks, I thank God every day that America is the freest nation on Earth, and we remain free because of the right to keep and bear arms. No other company in America personifies that right more than Car Firearms Group. Their story is the American dream, and their products are absolutely second to none. Car Firearms Group is your source for high quality firearms. Visit them at www.kahrcar.com. I carry car every day, so does Seb, and so should you. Again, www.car.com, and car is spelled K H R. All right, we're back. Hour two, America first, South Carolina primary tomorrow. So much to talk about. I'm, I'm thrilled, elated to bring on my next guest. Um, now we have to add author to that title, one that I've uh, read and love and can't wait to get into it with him. But also the man at the uh, New York Young Republicans, Gavin Wax. Thanks for joining me, brother. Really uh, appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me on, Rich. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Me, too. Me, too, Gavin. And we just were kind of getting into it a little bit in the second hour Uh, for people who don't know what I'm talking about. Gavin and and Troy together uh, wrote The Emerging Populist Majority, and you should absolutely check it out. This is a book that had to be written. Let me just say that to you, Gavin, like this book had to be written. Everyone obsesses over the suburbs. And before we get into New York specifically I want to bring this up everyone obsesses over the suburbs and I think they're missing the moment you want to tell everybody real quick what the general thesis of is the of, of the book is I think they need to check Yes this
3: absolutely out. Yes, absolutely. Uh, My book that I co-authored with a good friend of mine, Troy Olson, who's also a big fan uh, of you and your work, Uh, it's called The Emerging Populist Majority. It's uh, kind of in the similar vein of the uh, 1960s, the emerging Republican majority, and the the failed thesis of the uh, early 2000s, the emerging Democrat uh, majority. Uh, But we take obviously a different approach, but we look into the history uh, of electoral politics in the United States and this sort of ascendant and emerging I mean, uh, populist coalition that's taking over not only the Republican Party, uh, but, you know, the electoral landscape as a whole. Uh, you know, we talk about the past, but we make some predictions for the future. Uh, obviously talk about, you know, the changes in the dynamics that have happened. You mentioned the suburbs, but also the changes in dynamics in rural America and urban America, all that have really been accelerated uh, with the rise and uh, the rise of President Donald J. Trump. Uh, and it basically sort of uh, smashes a lot of the, uh, you know, notions and orthodoxies of the establishment and their consultant uh, and donor base, uh, their donor classes, the, the, the consultant class uh, who have been leading the Republican Party astray and have been really uh, dampening our potential electoral wins over the last uh, few cycles.
2: Gavin, what drives me nuts about those people you were just talking about, and I said this on Twitter before, I'm going to say it now, in its genre, this is the only book in recent memory that is worth reading. It is because you have uh, Texera, the emerging Democratic majority. You have, of course, from uh, good old 1969. He just recently passed away, by the way. Kevin Phillips, the emerging Republican majority. And nobody's come up with anything in between or explaining what the – uh, you know, what, what you could take good that was right from both of those theories, and, exp- and explain why um, both of them fall short at some point. And Texera was right in if the white working class and if minorities did not continue to shift to a Republican candidate right. like they have to Donald Trump, and that is what really threw. That's what screwed. It was like a cog that screwed up the whole machine, Gavin. You know. Um, but what drives me well, nuts predicting- about these people? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to
3: say, I mean, just to, 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 touch on the point you just brought up, they were predicting a a state like West Virginia would still be a solid uh, Democrat state in their, you know, know, hypothetical emerging Democrat majority. I mean, they were basically keeping all the trend lines, all the current voting patterns uh, exactly the same and in sort of a stasis. Uh, And honestly, they probably would have had more credibility if uh, the Republican Party continued to produce uh, the types of candidates that predated Trump uh, and they and the Republican Party failed to evolve into a more populist party as it is slowly becoming. Obviously, uh, you know, individuals like yourself or, or myself would like that to be accelerated. But we could have gone the way of the Tories in the UK and really gone off a yeah. cliff. And then, you know, the Texera hypothesis certainly would have been proven, uh, at least in the interim, to be correct. But it just goes to show that even going back to, to the early 2000s, that, uh, you know, they've really made some horrible predictions. And it kind of plays off this sort, sort of end of history type of uh, philosophy that really guides a lot of the neoliberal uh, globalist uh, Western elites, and they just sort of assumed uh, that their ascendancy was inevitable, uh, that they were at the end of history. And basically, progressivism uh, has conquered and championed overall, and the Republican Party uh, will be vanquished to become a regional party, when in fact, you know, if we play our cards right, we really could see the Democrat Party uh, becoming really that 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 regional uh, party that honestly, it deserves to be at this point, given trends and given the direction of the country.
2: Well, that's really a great explanation, too, for why they think the way they do. They did. They're all from that period, the right after the Cold War, the end of history kind of mindset. It also helps explain whether they obsess over the suburbs the way they do and, and, and have this every everything that informs their thinking and their theories is based on this like idea that demographics don't change, political coalitions don't change, suburbs don't look differently four, six years later, eight years later. Um, And what drives me nuts about them is that, and especially on the Republican side, is that, and this is what your book does, it really lays this out, after 2012, they spent God knows how much money on that autopsy. And what they event – what they really are saying in that autopsy after Romney lost is that you need a party that has an appeal like the one that you and Troy are outlying, the one that Donald Trump is building right now. You would think they would be over the moon, ecstatic about the shift in Queens, ecstatic about how you can see that in, all, in so many other areas of the country, and they uh, don't get it. They just – they're not. Why are they not happy? that Donald Trump is building this coalition that they claimed in an autopsy they wanted.
3: Uh, I ask this this question myself regularly, especially dealing with a lot of these uh, nincompoops poops and local and state politics, uh, especially and we're we're going to get into specifics soon. You know, with say Maz the Mozzie Philip race and New yeah. York three, but uh, you know I think a lot of it is ego. I think a lot of it is just they're really dated. They just don't have a pulse on the direction of the country. They're they're very just out of touch. They're they're isolated. They're insular. They're they're surrounded, uh, not really by the demographic that's really reshaping the party, and they're just living in another era. And you know. A lot of these consultants, they're one trick ponies. Uh, I know in New York, a lot of them really haven't won any races since, you know, Pataki uh, and the state has completely changed uh, in the last 20 years. I mean, com- it's a completely different state. It's a completely different city. Uh, and they really haven't changed their messaging, their rhetoric, their style and substance. And when they lose, instead of having a little bit of a, you know, introspective moment, instead they double down. And, you know, I have it on good authority. Then when Mozzie Phillip lost, uh, you know, the, the chairman out in Long Island basically said, oh, it's, because, you know, Nassau County doesn't like a black woman rather than actually saying no, she was a horrible candidate. You ran a poor campaign and uh, you're not understanding the trends. I mean, for at the end of the day, they ran a they ran a gay black woman in George Santos anyway, and he's still one uh, joking aside. But uh, it just goes to show also <laughs> that they don't understand the suburbs. And that's really their bread and butter. But it wasn't purely a suburban district. This extended into Queens. Yeah. And uh, I think there is a certain obsession with the suburbs in Republican circles, maybe because it has a certain socioeconomic appeal to them, uh, you know, the country club, that mode of Republican politics. But uh, it's very hard to understand how irrational and clueless they are, um, you know, and how and how they continue to lose and not realize the fault in their their strategy and approach.
2: You know, outside of the electoral strategy point of view, right, this is why I think one of the reasons why I have and do still argue the urban rural coalition, just from a society standpoint, and I wonder if you agree with this, just from, you know, right now in our politics, it's us against them, this one against the other, black against white, rural against urban. If the rural and urban coalition was created, would it not, you know, I mean, and the suburbs are just going to have to find, you know, decide what side they come down on. Would it not make for a more stable society, Gavin?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think this reverse FDR coalition is really what the Republican Party should be trying to build up and embrace, you know, run up the numbers in the rurals and fight on the margins in urban America. I think the suburbs, you know, there's going to be some reversion in the suburbs. I don't think they're completely lost. Yeah. It's also, you know, ge- geographically based, you know, not all suburbs are created the same, but the focus and the obsession they have uh, is really holding us behind. I think we have a lot of, you know, ground to make up even in, the, in, in rural America. I mean, there's still plenty of places that we have in max out to the same extent that Democrats have maxed out some of their uh, urban cohorts and, and demographic groups. Uh, so we have a lot of work to do there. And I think we also have a lot of work to, work to do in the cities. I think the Republican mentality of giving up the cities, not fighting for it is extremely flawed. Uh, yes, some of these markets are more expensive from a media perspective, but you move the needle a few points in, in Queens or in the five boroughs, all of a sudden, you know, New York state as a whole looks competitive when you're getting 33 percent in the city. So something to consider.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And stay tuned. We're going to have more with Gavin.
1: Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now.
4: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
2: I'm going to get into more with New York, but you're watching America First with Dr. Gorka. I'm Rich Barris, the People's Pundit, Inforum 833-33-GORKA. Give us your thoughts.
0: Greetings, this is Dr. Sebastian Gorka from the Midas Gold Group War Room. The MAGA veterans at Midas point out that the Federal Reserve note does not belong to you. It belongs to the Federal Reserve Bank. While the Federal debt doesn't belong to the Federal Reserve Bank, it belongs to you. This is your wake-up call to what the Midas Gold Group veterans believe the central bank and government are trying to do. A controlled demolition of our current system with a central bank digital currency to take complete and utter control of our transactions freedoms a literal digital concentration camp replete with social sanctions protect yourself turn this wake up call into a phone call and look into the opportunities that gold can provide you as a way to diversify your investments. Call veteran-owned Midas Gold Group today, 855-322-GOLD, or go to MidasGoldGroup.com. That's 855-322-GOLD, or just go to MidasGoldGroup.com. Always faithful, Midas Gold Group, MAGA and proud of it.
1: Welcome back to America First with our special guest host, Rich Barris from Big Data Polls.
2: Yep, it's Rich Barris back, people's pundit in for Dr. Gorka on America First. And we're also back with author Gavin Wax, who, along with uh, Troy Olson, wrote what I'm seriously calling, I'm, I kid you not, folks, in its genre, the only book worth reading, very much in the mold of. Kevin Phillips, the emerging Republican majority, and also Texera's Democratic majority, emerging Democratic majority, but the right one for this time. Gavin, I want to just read you this real quick um, because, of course, New York 3, big disappointment. They blamed you for – they blamed you and the New York Republican Club for – New York Young Republicans for, um, which I had to laugh hysterically. And as a pollster, we go back and post-interview people. Fifty four year old female from Queens is white, by the way, I forgot to mention that is white. Uh, She gave us three reasons why she did not vote in the special election. The first one was that Republicans chose a Democrat and did not give them a chance to vote in a primary or anything like that. The second. Second one was that this Democrat said she would not support Trump if he was convicted and that they expect him to be convicted. So what would that mean? You're essentially voting for a never Trump Democrat anyway. And then number three, she said it was a bad precedent and that like basically said, who in hell do you think you are? We vote for who we want. You should never have removed George Santos. And if we if I was to vote for their handpicked replacement, we'd set a bad precedent precedent and let them think they can do whatever. So we just had to let them lose this time. How many of those voters do you think were in New York three and why on earth would they blame you for the loss? (laughs) <laughs> well, it's
3: a good question and and great points from this voter. Well, answer your question first. I think there are a lot of voters who felt the same way. I mean, if you look at some of these Republican bastions, let's say in Queens, for example, uh, Mozzie either lost them or barely won them. In the latter case, yeah. uh, was an example in Whitestone, uh, Queens, which is a very hardcore Republican area. She barely won it. I mean, she just wasn't getting the turnout in the places she needed to get the turnout in. Even in uh, the Nassau portion, you go down to the Levittown area, very Republican area. The turnout wasn't there. You know what a sea of red was in past elections turned into a sea of light blue on uh, on many of the maps that you and I would be looking at. So I think there were a lot of voters uh, who really weren't impressed with her, who weren't motivated by her and the party apparatus out there. You know, they feigned they faked this sort of enthusiasm. They have a very strong political machine, a lot of patronage. I respect it. But uh, they kind of got high on their own supply, so to speak. They did these little rallies for her. They get a few hundred people out there. But all those people were because they had county jobs and they wanted to be on the good graces of the local party bosses, not because they were actually enthusiastic uh, for Mozzie Phillip No one was really enthusiastic for her. And and for the reasons you listed, the party registration thing was a big one that they underplayed. You had Representative Peter King, former Representative Peter King, going on local radio saying, oh, who cares? No one cares about this. You know, he sounded like Baghdad Bob when they were invading Iraq. A lot of people cared. That's why you had a massive loss. You know, he was doing a spin job of all spin jobs. And then obviously I, uh, with with the Santos thing, I was speaking to a very uh, well to do crowd in Manhattan, a very, you know, upper middle class, upper class uh, Republican donor kind of group, not the kind of group that necessarily likes my politics or your politics or even George Santos. And I was posed the question about Santos and I made it very clear that I think it's it's horrible precedent to remove him uh, regardless of what you think. And the whole place was was applauding. So I do think it's, yeah. uh, you know, anecdotally, I think there's a lot of voters that fall into that uh, that fall into that box. And. Uh, And I think because of all these reasons and more, she lost a very winnable race. And even if it wasn't winnable this cycle, it should have been close. And Tom Suozzi, an institutional Democrat, uh, if there ever was one, ran to her right on issues such as immigration and crime and other things. And she just got completely blasted out of the water on messaging. Meanwhile, she's putting out pressers and statements on uh, on Trump and and bleeding support. I mean, at the end of the day, the establishment has to understand that you may not everything you're doing to win over this elusive, college-educated, upper-middle-class suburbanite wine mom, uh, everything you're doing to win that woman over, that voter over, you're, le- you're losing 30 people like this woman in Queens that are probably MAGA diehard supporters. They could just stay home. They don't have to vote for you. They'll just stay home and turn out is key in these races.
2: Yeah, 100 percent. They act like everything happens in a vacuum. And when you go and, you know, pander to one group, it doesn't hurt you with another. So you want to look like you're not, uh, you know, a Trump loyalist so you can win over the Valium wine mom. Right. And and what is that going to do to some of these other groups that uh, uh, Republicans have been doing so well to bring into the camp in the Trump era? But I'll tell you, they don't learn because they're doing this again with the Senate. And let me just bring this. It's like the Nassau County. They touted the Nassau County operation. And from what I hear, it is a good operation. But what does that matter if you don't have a good candidate? So they're like the Tammany of all, only they don't win like Tammany used to. At least (laughs) Tammany would win, Gavin. right? Right. So they have the same kind of patronage system set up and the same kind of like almost mob like Rule that they, yeah. that they, how they run it over there and they don't even deliver the results. And here we go with the Senate, tell people what they're up to picking their Senate candidate. And <laughs> this guy is like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting it, a different it, it's result. It's crazy. It's. It's the definition of insanity.
3: And you said it right with the Nassau machine. I mean, it really is very mob like. And look, they've had some wins and electoral success on Long Island. I think they exaggerate to the degree at which they are responsible for it. I think Long Island has always traditionally been a Republican stronghold. It went to the left, uh, mostly because of Republican corruption and mob like behavior from former county executives and party bosses out there, many of whom went to jail. Uh, And then obviously it was regained in terms of Republican control, mostly because the Dems went so far left and lost moderate support, but also because there was a realignment, national realignment, new trends, things that were ushered in both by President Trump and also Lee Zeldin. They took advantage of that. Uh, do they get some credit? Absolutely. Do they get all the credit? Certainly not. Uh, and I think, you know, I want to build machines. I want to build patronage as well, if it means we're going to get real successes and conservative populist wins. But if we're just putting up candidates like Mike sapraconi Sapricone, sapraconi whatever his name is, uh, we're only going to lose. So this guy, uh, was nominated by a 100 old geezers up at Binghamton at the most poorly attended New York State Convention uh, in the party's history. The party goes back to the 1850s, and uh, they've never had a, a, a smaller attendance for a convention. He was nominated there by the party insiders. Nassau has a lot of weight. Uh, it's a weighted vote with, with proxies and delegates and all that. So basically, what Nassau and the Nassau chairman wants, that's what they get. They basically de facto run the statewide party because everyone's scared of them and defers to them uh, for a variety of reasons reasons. Uh, So they're pushing this new candidate down everyone's throat, I think partly because they cut a deal with him because he initially wanted to run and be the Mozzie Philip of New York three. They they said, no, we'll push you for Senate. Then it started coming out all the dirt on this guy. He has a long, interesting history with the New York Police Department, including multiple lawsuits that the city had to settle uh, some, you know, gentleman that was wrongfully imprisoned and beaten up. Uh, A lot of weird stuff is coming out and will begin to come out. But I think more importantly was his donation history. I mean, this guy has never given a single cent to President Trump. I don't think he's barely given anything to Republicans, but he is a six figure, a recent a recent six figure donor. These donations were all within the last few years uh, to a variety of Democrat causes, over $150,000 worth of donations. I think he gave $90,000 to the Nassau Democrat Party to buy his, to potentially, supposedly, maybe buy his wife a, a judgeship out there. Uh, he gave 40000 to Tom Swazi, who just beat Mozzie, an interesting uh, donation there. He's given money to Andrew Cuomo. He's given money to Todd uh, Kaminsky, who's the architect of the disastrous bail reform law. And then it was just revealed he has also given money uh, to Letitia James, Tish James, who was trying to imprison uh, and bankrupt Donald Trump. He did this during her race where she ran on this, ran on getting Trump and uh, bankrupting him. It's absolutely disgusting. He's going to get destroyed in a primary.
2: I wish I had another two segments with him, folks. Gavin Wax, go check him out. The Emerging Populist Majority. I'm Rich Barris, the People's Pundit in for Sebastian Gorka on America First. The time is flying. we got a lot of great guests coming up, a lot of great stuff. Thanks to my guest, Gavin. See you on the other side.
0: Did you know that 84% of New Year's resolutions fail in the first six weeks? That's got me thinking about PhD weight loss and nutrition and why it was a success for me. Why I haven't gained one pound of my 42-pound weight loss back. Why, Jeff, my producer, decided to start the program. Most people blame their failure on a lack of time, motivation, and a loss of zeal. PhD makes it simple. It doesn't take a lot of extra time. They are masters of motivation. You have a team of coaches by your side the whole time, and you don't lose your zeal because every week you make great strides, so you stay excited. Do something different this year and call PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition, 864 1900 to get started, or online at myphdweightloss.com. dot com. Don't do this alone. The number eight six four six four four one nine zero zero. 644 dot com.
1: Welcome back to America First with our special guest host, Rich Barris, from Big Data Polls.
2: Thank you, Dr. Gorka. Yep, it's Rich Barris, the People's Pundit, in for Dr. Gorka on America First. We're in now, the last and final hour. Time does fly when you're having fun. I got a great guest now I want to bring on, though. Um, He's the author of Borderless by Design and, of course, uh, Congressman, Texas, Uh, Troy Nels. Thank you so much for joining us, Congressman. I appreciate it.
4: Rich, good to be with you. What an honor it is to step in for Seb. Ah, Big, big shoes to fill for you there, Rich.
2: Huge. I'm flopping around over here, but I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Uh, he's great, certainly a great patriot. By the way, as are you, people should definitely check out your book, Borderless by Design. I'm um, So, uh, you know, this couldn't be a better time to talk to you. I am seeing these numbers from CBP and struggling to find a legitimate reason why 21,000 Chinese nationals would come across the border in the San Diego sector like this.
4: Oh, I, I think I have a, a pretty uh, easy answer for you. Well, obviously, the Bidens have built a strong personal relationship with the Chinese. They're uh-huh. all over here so they could spend some time and, and party with the sun. Don't you think? <laughs> Don't they want to come over here and hang out with with the sun? <laughs> I I'll tell you. Me. Listen, come on. Everybody we, can see Hunter loves the party. What do you think these uh, Chinese just sit at home and all night long? No, no. They're coming over here. They they got a personal relationship with the Biden family. Hunter they're pals. They're pals. They're coming over here to play, to hang out with Hunter.
2: It might as well be the the explanation because there, there there really isn't another one to give. The president comes in, wants to be the un-Trump, and untrumps everything uh when it comes to not just immigration, foreign policy, how he's gonna withdraw from Afghanistan. Um but you know, one of one you really just posted this on X not long ago. We heard the president say that, uh, you know, yesterday there's, you know, nothing he can do here. Republicans aren't giving him the tools. And the truth is, I mean, you wrote on X, you said you want to fix the border crisis at the southern border, refer, revert to successful Trump era policies, period. Why is the president looking to Congress? When we know that the prior president had the border, the most secure we've seen it in our lifetime at this point, you know, since the, we've had these uh, this crisis at the southern border. Why are they looking to you? Why is he looking to you? Politics? No. I mean, he just needs to do his job and enforce the law.
4: Well, the, the truth is the dishonest media, the greatest threat to this country is in bed with this administration. Now, the American people know that the border is the most serious issue in America, even over the economy, according to the latest poll. He has a 33, maybe 36 percent approval rating. So what Joe is doing, he's getting the media to spread this misinformation, downright lies to say, I can't do anything. I need Congress to do it. And it's the Republicans that don't want to secure the southern border. Joe Biden could do it. He could do it right now while we're on the phone. By reversing, going back and just do the MPP, the Migrant Protection Protocol, which is the Remain in Mexico. But he's not going to do it. Joe Biden, there's not a Democrat out there that wants to do a damn thing to secure our southern border. It's all by design. And he's going to get the dishonest media to try to confuse the American people and put the blame on Congress. Joe, you can fix it today, but you choose not to do so. Period.
2: And even when at least the lower chamber, at least the House, the people's house, tries to tries to hold him accountable, they have his back. The media has his back. They have Schumer's back. I can't imagine, you know. And I want want to ask you what it would look like if a Democratic Congress impeached, you know, the equivalent of Mayorkas, right? And a Republican leader, whether it was Mitch McConnell or somebody else, just decided, I don't think I want to take up this impeachment. You know, so you're talking about the Democrats, I mean, uh, you know, the media having the Democrat and the Democrats and the presidents back on this. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. Has, has there ever been an instance of the House kicking up an impeachment to the Senate and the Senate telling the House, if you do this, I will not take it up? Has this ever happened?
4: Well, I, I, I think those could just be words. I think what he's going to have to do, he's going to have to follow protocol. I mean, this is the only second time this has ever happened. I think the other one was in the 1800s. But he's going to have to yeah. do something. When, the, when the, the, the the managers, the 11 members in the House, walk these articles of impeachment over, I think what you'll see, Chuck Schumer will get them, and he'll do an immediate uh, motion to dismiss, in my humble opinion, because he don't think that this article, these impeachment articles are, are legitimate. He thinks they're all political. So he's going to do everything he can to not bring any credibility to the what the House of Representatives did last week before we leave. And that was impeach Mayorkas because he's a liar. He's a disgrace. He, he misleads the American people every time he gets in the camera and looks him in the eye. He misleads He lies.
2: And they know that, though. I mean, you represent a district. You're in the heart of the storm. You, you, you guys down there are, I mean, every state, it seems like, is a border state, especially with the fentanyl crisis. I just had a friend or 19 year old son thought he was, unfortunately, having friends, took a Percocet and it was fentanyl. He passed away. It's just tragic. He's not even a partier. So I understand all states are border states, but you're really in the thick of it. Americans aren't buying this, right? I mean, this Democrat all of a sudden newfound support for for you know being a border hawk—they're not going to buy this.
4: Well, the American people, I believe, are starting to pay attention today. Uh, and when you look at yeah. the polls in Ohio and New Hampshire, I think the border was number one issue. It's because what the southern border governors, what they did is these states, southern states, they started busting them to the you know to the New York City and Chicago and to Martha's Vineyard, and now all of a sudden their constituents. The mayor, Eric Adams, got constituents They're saying, hey, what the hell are you doing? And what are you complaining about? Well, we keep sending them up there, and we should continue to send them to all these sanctuary cities, continue to send them up, because now the people in those cities are starting to complain, and they're complaining to the mayors, and now the mayors are saying, wait a minute, you can't put them up here. We've been having to deal with this in Texas for decades, as well as the other southern states, and I applaud the efforts of the governors that have taken initiative to send these individuals up to some of those northern cities and states, it's a good thing because now America's paying attention finally.
2: Yeah, if they if they don't see it, then they don't have to recognize it. And it's not a problem for them. So you make it their problem and they have no choice. I got to ask you this real quick before you go. Uh, a lot of people, I, I, all my viewers, followers, watchers, they ask me, how does somebody like Jim Biden, how does this always work like with Democrats where they can get in front of the House and claim they can't remember the way they do? You know, they have these sudden lapse in memories. Um, you know, it, 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 it frustrates people. It really well, does. It does. What but would they, you say they, to them?
4: But what they have, Rich, they have shyster attorneys. They have yeah. shysters for attorneys that don't answer this, don't answer that. Don't worry, we'll protect you here. Plead the fifth, do all that other stuff. You know what I've noticed is my time on judiciary, whether it's inter or questioning my or Christopher Ray or even you know the uh, the uh, uh, DOJ. Uh, they they all claim uh, we can't talk about that. It's a personnel matter. or can't talk about this cuz there's a current active investigation so you really don't get a hell of a lot out of these committee hearings because they just don't ever want to truly answer the question and they hide behind the I can't because it's a personal matter or it's an active investigation so whether it's Garland, 바이ork, <laughs> is Christopher Ray or any of them you're never going to get the skinny we don't have the DOJ you need a president you need a president that cares about this country loves this country puts America first and Donald Trump's going to do that. Help is on its way, but it's 10 months away.
2: Yeah, 10 months can be a long time. When we're looking at the numbers that we're seeing coming across the border like this, it's unbelievable. It really is. Let me ask you if, if it looks like, and it does look like, that Donald Trump is going to be elected again. Should, should we expect a ramp up at the border of people who think, I better get in while I still can? Oh, they'll
4: do everything they can in the last probably sixty to ninety days, uh, uh, or certainly right after the election, uh, before January twentieth. They'll they'll probably be coming up in the in the tens of thousands. I mean, how many more can they can we hold up here? So yeah, you're going to see that they they they're, they're going to look at the 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 polling. They're going to look at the uh, the the temperature, I guess, in the United States as it relates to whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump. But If we want to save our country and we want to protect America and not hear any more stories like you just shared with a a young man taking a a substance that ended up fentanyl and taking his life, you got to bring Donald Trump back. He's the only one, in my opinion, that can save this country. He loves this country more than just anybody I know. So God bless Donald Trump. The American people are paying attention, and he will be the 47th president.
2: Again, the book is border borderless by design. Um, it's just a great title. You know, obviously you're, you know, you're, you're a warrior when it comes to this issue, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it it takes a lot. I mean it's big business. People should understand. I'm sure you can tell them more, you know, better than anybody. It democrat for Democrats it's about votes, it's a it's big business with these lawyers, immigration lawyers and groups. It's difficult uh it's a difficult problem and without the White House it's gonna be very, very tough to get it under control. Would you agree?
4: Yes, and 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 that's what the borderless by design. The book I, I interviewed Donald Trump. But it it talks about European migration from the early on, and it, it 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 explains why I say it's by design. It's not by accident. This administration knows exactly what they're doing. They're trying to get the naturalization mills you saw with Boss Tweed. We have him up there in New York City back in the 1800s. This is all by design. It's all about one party rule. I think Elon Musk. Must have read my book because he talked about one party rule, the pushes and the (laughs) pulls, what brings people in and out of these countries. So it's it's, a great book, and it's on Amazon Borderless by
2: Design. Check it out, folks. We're going to cut us. Thanks, Congressman. We'll talk to you soon. Stay tuned. We'll have more America First with Seb Gorka in a bit.
0: Are you tired of not getting a good night's sleep? Well, my friend Mike Lindell has created the perfect solution. He didn't just top out the pillow; he also created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets, made from the world's best cotton called Giza. These sheets are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. And now, for a limited time, you can get 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets with prices starting as low as 29.98 in a variety of sizes and colors, and have a 60-day money-back guarantee. And a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio square and use promo code G-O-R-K-A at checkout. You can also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper and the MyPillow towel sets. Don't wait any longer to get the best sleep of your life. Call 800-829-8468 or go to mypillow.com now and use promo code Gorka. That's 800-829-8468 or mypillow.com, promo code G-O-R-K-A.
1: Welcome back to America First with our special guest host, Rich Barris, from Big Data Polls.
2: Welcome back to America First with Rich Barris, People's Funding, filling in for Dr. Gorka. Oh, man, this is going to be a good segment. Listen, I'm going to just bring him right on and talk about this. I've been waiting uh, two and a half hours to discuss this. Everybody is looking at this new information with Fannie Willis, and we have Greg Jarrett to come on to explain it, break it down. And, um, you know, tell us what we can expect from here. Thanks for joining us, Greg. I really appreciate it.
5: Oh, always happy to join you, Rich.
2: Can you give us a rundown real quick? It's the geolocation data that uh, what, what does it mean? Uh, what the latest development is in this case?
5: Well, you know, Fanny Willis and Nathan Wade said, uh, oh, gosh, we had a platonic relationship um, all the way through the time I hired him in November of 2021 and Wade said, Yeah, you know, I only visited her condo a couple times. I never spent the night. Well, uh, the defense has come up with cell phone geolocation data that shows that, in fact, uh, well before he was hired, Nathan Wade visited Fonnie Willis's condo 35 times. Uh, again, long before they claim their sexual affair began some of the visits literally in the middle of the night, some of them throughout the night. On top of that, Wade and Willis made over 2,000 voice calls together and exchanged roughly 12,000 interactions in the year before you know he was hired, in the months before he was hired. What does that tell us? It, it tells us That perhaps uh, Wade and Willis were lying, and that her former friend Robin Yurdy, who took the witness stand, was telling the truth when she said, Are you kidding me? They were having an affair long before Willis hired Wade. And, you know, perjury is pretty serious stuff, and uh, especially when you're the district attorney. (laughs) Uh, You know, you're supposed to be putting people behind bars. Well... She could end up behind bars.
2: She was already being investigated. I'm talking earlier about this. She was already being investigated. Now this is perjury. Greg, she didn't have to get up on the witness stand for this, right? Am I I incorrect on saying – why did she do this?
5: Because Nathan Wade was such a Three Stooges train wreck on the witness stand. (laughs) Uh, he was Mo, Larry, and Curly all rolled into one. And, you know, let's toss in Shep as well. Uh, so she sprinted to the witness stand, having resisted the subpoena and arguing to the judge she shouldn't have to testify. She waived it all because he was such a mess, which only goes to show that lawyers make hideous witnesses. And, and then, you know, she begins with this tantrum on the witness stand. And, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people were buying what she was selling. Uh, oh, you know, I reimbursed him for all of the expenses on the taxpayer time by giving him cash. Where'd the cash come from? Well, it was right. kind of magic money. You know, it just appeared. So, you know, this is going to be a tough decision for the judge. To me, it's a no-brainer. They admitted the affair, which regardless of when it began or ended, that's a severe conflict of interest, an obvious impropriety, a violation of the canons of ethics, and it merits absolutely disqualification.
2: And then what does that mean overall for the case? Because I think that some people are just at the point now where they – and this is this is sad, but this is a sad state of where we are, but they – They just don't expect anybody to do the right thing at this point when it comes to the justice system. Let's say the judge, and he's a Brian Kemp appointee. Let's say he does do what is a no-brainer. I mean, you and others have said what. Where does it go from here then?
5: Well, I, you know, she has absolutely destroyed her own case by her own misconduct. Because however the judge rules, it'll be appealed, which means that any trial gets delayed inevitably, uh, uh, for who knows how long, but but I don't see it happening uh, before the election. And if the judge determines that her misconduct and that of Wade is so severe that the entire prosecution has been tainted, he can either dismiss the charges or ship it off to another DA's office. and that if that happens, I promise you Rich, New prosecutors will look at this and surely realize that this is a legally unsound case that does not remotely support racketeering under the law.
2: Well, this is, uh, you know, I I imagine you, 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 you have to be somebody like her to come up with a case like this. I don't know why any of us would be surprised by her behavior, but stay tuned. We're talking to Greg Jarrett on America First. Rich Barrison for Seb Gorka. Other side of the break, folks.
1: First, with our special guest host, Rich Barris from Big Data Polls.
2: That's right. We're back, America First, with Seb Gorka. I'm Rich Barris, the People's Pundit. In for Dr. Gorka. Life is a highway. Mine certainly has been. That's for sure. And we're back with Greg Jarrett. We're talking about uh, the latest in the the Fannie Willis's case. Really, it's her case now. Um, you know, Greg. I, maybe I'm wrong here. You know, again, I'm not a lawyer, but if every Every case she's tried here, is this going to hurt cases that she's presided over uh, in the past because her behavior has been so egregious? Could there be others? And and I mean bad, you know, obviously other people who deserve to be charged with different crimes. Could there be others who come forward and ask for their case to be reexamined because of what she's done? Has she jeopardized that?
5: Well, it's possible, but you know, I think this case was unique because she yeah. suffers uh, acutely from TDS, Trump derangement syndrome. And <laughs> you know that's what drove uh, her decision to take the racketeering law and to twist it into a pretzel uh, and do this legal pirouette that required her to mangle the facts and the evidence in order to bring a, a completely specious case. And, you know, she's, as I said before, she's ruined it. But, you know, she and Wade are in deep legal trouble. She's facing two other Georgia probes over misappropriation of funds, fraud, other improprieties. Her staffers hate her so much. They're lining up to testify against her, and which tells you that there's other instances of impropriety That are going to come to light. Those could affect other past cases. Uh, She could be removed from office, even face, as I said before, legal jeopardy. And Wade appears to have lied during his divorce proceedings. He swore in documents he never had an extramarital affair, even though he now admits he did. But he claims, well, that affair didn't really count because, you know, my marriage was broken. Even though I didn't get a divorce until recently, well, you know, Wade, good luck with that defense. He's in trouble.
2: You know, I, during the break, I was bringing this up, and I just want to kind of uh, let the audience hear the rest of this. You know, I'm always worried, and again, it's my political hat. I'm always worried that Roberts, um, you know, cares more about the image of the court than do, than what you know doing what's right. But when we did see Colorado go before the Supreme Court, even. Cont- cont- Ketanji Brown Jackson had some of the most, you know, the stiffest questions for them about throwing uh, President Trump off the ballot in Colorado. And it did make me think that perhaps these justices do care about what happens to the office of the presidency when long after Donald Trump. I mean, it's hard to read them, but did you get that sense from them as well?
5: Oh, absolutely. All of them, including Roberts. And, you know, he's he's always sort of the, you know, the bellwether that you pay attention to because he's the chief and he tends to slide left and right. He is obsessed about the image of the court and its, you know, reputation, its integrity. And sometimes he'll ignore the law and vote with liberals just because it looks good. But here he warned in open court. If you strike Trump from the ballot, Republicans are going to strike Biden from the ballot. And this this isn't just a slippery slope. This thing is is lathered with Crisco grease. And there's already a movement uh, by one jurisdiction to kick Biden off the ballot, depending upon how the Supreme Court rules. So, you know, that, as I said to you off air, it's a no brainer. A first year law student could figure it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty pretty easy case. Should be unanimous.
2: Are we? Uh, you know, I guess then, am I wrong to say that? Judging by their, you know, th- their I, their posture towards these arguments, and really, they did seem again to protect uh, or want to protect the presidency in in a post Trump era. Are we wrong to think that bodes well then for him when it comes to the immunity um, cases or the immunity arguments? Because I know he and and maybe you can explain this what they just filed when it comes to the documents case now in the Mar a Lago case also with immunity. Yeah, I, is that too know, big of a leap? The
5: the immunity is a tough argument because both sides went too far. Trump said absolute, complete immunity. Um, You know, the other side, the special counsel's side, said no immunity whatsoever. Um, The the answer lies somewhere in between. Uh, qualified immunity, it it seems to me. Anything that is done during the course and scope of your duties as president of the United States, you should be immune both civilly and criminally. And then the question becomes, were his actions uh, pursuant to his duties as president? Some uh, obviously were. Some arguably not. And, you know, it's up to the courts to decide that. But the fact that it has now been erased in federal uh, district court in Florida, in addition to Washington, D.C., now incentivizes the Supreme Court to say, hey, wait a minute, we've got to take this case. We've got to put this to bed once and for all.
2: And in the case of Georgia, though, because if that does happen, it looks like these cases are falling apart one at a time. And in the instance or at least in the situation with Georgia, um, what happens here if they do? I mean, obviously, she's destroyed her credibility. The attorney general now will have to figure out what to do with this case moving forward of the state. Is that how this works?
5: Well, that's what I would do if I were the judge. I'd kick it to the uh, attorney general's office for a complete review the validity of the case, and the conduct of the district attorney that brought it. Um, Regardless of how the judge rules, though, uh, this case will, uh, his decision will be appealed. And I suspect that a higher court is going to take a very dim view of the conduct of Willis and Wade. But, you know, any trial will be delayed as a consequence, as I, I said before. So that's that's where right. this is going right now. I You know, I don't see that case ever coming to trial, uh, given the disclosures of the misconduct of Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade.
2: Well, we know Democrats want to slap the label of felon on the former president. So, you know, just given everything we just discussed, does that really leave Alvin Bragg with the – I mean, if you're President Trump, I guess – um you know, the most because it's moving forward, right? So if you're President Trump, that would be the, the obstacle you have in front of you. Uh, and if you're the Democrats, you're relying on Alvin Bragg. Is that really where they've come after all this?
5: Yeah. And the last person you ever want to rely on is Alvin Bragg, um, <laughs> who apparently slept his way through Harvard Law School. Uh, and that case is, is laughable. It's, it's, you know, he should yeah. be a stand-up comedian.
2: So Greg, Jarrett, everybody, thanks so much, Greg, for your time. Really appreciate it. We'll be back on the other side of the break.